right, good morning. Uh, good to see everybody here today. If you have your, your Bibles with me, even though we're going to be uh, looking at uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, why don't you open with me to Luke chapter 17. Uh, I love uh, when there are moments in, in the gospel accounts where, where Jesus will command something to, to the apostles, uh, and they, they kind of do a double take. Uh, and they, they, they give this, this awkward response at times, uh, and they're just like, wait, what? Uh, and, and Luke 17 is one of those in my own sanctified imagination. I, I hear them or imagine them speaking in this way uh, in Luke 17, starting in verse 1. Uh, and he, speaking of Jesus, said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Now, I think the the apostles, as they they heard that, they would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. I I understand that, and I agree with that. Yeah, if someone is causing somebody else to sin, uh, there should be consequences for that. But this next portion, I think, think got their attention and and was shocking to them. Verse 3, Jesus says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. That's That's a weighty command, isn't it? So somebody sins against you uh, seven times in one day uh, and, we, and, and repents, we are commanded to forgive. Uh, that, that's a, a lofty, a very high standard. And I love the apostles' response in verse 5. What do they say? The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> I imagine, hey, Jesus, I, I need more faith if I'm going to do that. Are, are you serious about that? That, that seems almost impossible uh, I mean, if you just take this uh, and let's let's put a, a hypothetical situation. If you're with somebody uh, and you get into a fist fight with them after an argument, after one time, it's going to be difficult to forgive them, right? And then if it happens again, it's going to be even more difficult, all right? Like, hey, this guy's punched me in the face two times already today, and now he's saying he repents. Do I have to forgive him again? Uh, but but And then three through seven is going to be even more difficult, Right? Uh, so, so this, this reality of he's saying, man, seven times in one day, I, I must forgive. And I love the apostles' response because it, it shows that they're, they're tracking with him, but they, they feel that it is, it's such a difficult command that Jesus is giving. Uh, and, and why is it so hard to extend forgiveness? You ever think about that? Now, why is it so difficult uh, when, when someone comes and asks for forgiveness? to say, I forgive you, or uh, if they don't ask for forgiveness, uh, to, to release them of sin. Well, forgiveness always involves interacting with somebody who's hurt us in some way, right? Whether that would be verbally, physically, uh, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, and, and when someone comes to confess sin and ask for your forgiveness, uh, how does our heart normally respond? <laughs> we shrink back and suddenly that voice in your head is saying, no. They've hurt you. How can, how can you. how can you forgive them? Uh, and when you do forgive them, it's like you're taking your heart and giving it back to them. 
and entrusting trusting your heart back into their care and saying, hey, I, I, I forgive you, I release you of that sin, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself in a position where you can hurt me again. And that's difficult, isn't it? Uh, and that's why the, the apostles are saying, Lord, increase our faith. I don't know how to do that. Uh, and, and because sin is ever-present uh, in every society around the world at all times, there has been a, a universal need in every age and in every culture, to wrestle with this reality of forgiveness. When should we extend forgiveness? How should we extend forgiveness? Uh, and, and there have been a near infinite number of theories about how and when we should, we should forgive others. Uh, and, and the Bible has much to say about forgiveness. Indeed, you could say that the entire Bible is one big story of how a holy God forgives sinful man who has rebelled against him. And as Paul writes to, to the Colossians today, and you can, you can turn with me to what we're going to be looking at in Colossians 3, forgiveness is going to come up today uh, as, he, as he writes to the Colossians. See, uh, the big theme of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ, uh, Christ who is the creator and sustainer of all things. Uh, and, and Paul is writing to them, and he's going to be un unwrapping this idea that when, when we believe in Jesus, when we place our faith and trust in him and him alone for our salvation, we are spiritually united with him, that his death becomes our death, his resurrection becomes our resurrection, so that we died to sin and now we are raised to newness of life. And in, this, uh, in the context of what we're going to be looking at today, I'd like to read uh, Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17, just to get a picture of uh, what, we've, what we saw last week and what we're going to be looking at in weeks to come. Uh, but, but forgiveness is going to be talked about today because forgiveness is something that we must put on. Forgiveness is something that we must uh, demonstrate to others if we are truly going to be followers of Christ. Let's begin reading in Colossians 3, verse 12. Paul writes, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we, as we look at verse 13 this morning, we'll see that, that Paul is instructing the Colossians concerning how they, are to, how they are to put on the virtues that we saw listed in verse 12. Those five virtues of uh, compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. They are to be put on by, <coughs> excuse me, by bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Uh, and there, there will be conflicts and complaints that will arise. And, and when we talk about forgiveness, we are really talking about Conflict resolution, are we not? Uh, and what, what Paul is going to be talking about here, conflict resolution, how do we put that on display in the church? How do we forgive one another? 
uh, we'll see that Christ is both our model and our motivation for this, uh, for resolving conflict. And we'll see that we must put on Christ's likeness. If we have any hope of, of doing what verse 15 says, of, of letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, if we have any hope of doing that, we have to learn how to uh, bear with one another and to forgive one another. And that's why these commands precede the other. Uh, but, but what are we to understand about conflict resolution in this passage? Uh, and and uh, as you see on your notes in front of you, uh, in this one simple verse, we can make four observations uh, about how we are to resolve conflict when it arises in any of our relationships so that we might glorify God and live in peace with others. So let's, let's begin. We're going to take it uh, a little bit out of order in terms of the order of the flow of the verse. Uh, but observation number one is the, the expectation of conflict you need to develop. Because Paul says here, uh, if one has a complaint against another, uh, and uh, in, in the Greek there are certain ways of, of, of seeing hypothetical situations. There's one way of, of phrasing things where you assume that an answer is going to be most assuredly yes. Like, hey, this is for sure going to take place. There's another way of phrasing things that would say, hey, I, I, this is definitely not going to take place. But, but here what we have is a third way in which Paul is saying, hey, I, I can't guarantee that this is going to happen. I'm not sure if it is, but it's more than likely going to. That these, I can't predict all of the ways that this is going to happen, but it, it's going to happen because uh, when, uh, when sinners get together, what should we expect? Sin. Yeah, when, uh, when we understand that when people are going to be interacting with one another, there, there's going to be differences of opinion. Uh, there's going to be complaints. There's going to be uh, reasons to be uh, dissatisfied with, with somebody else. Uh, one pastor has said, The unfortunate fact is that whenever followers of Christ live together, complaints arise one against another. Uh, that's a, just a normal outflow of living with other people uh, in community. Uh, when I, uh, I'm a big Frisbee golf fan, and so when I went for the first time down to Ann Morrison Park in, in downtown Boise, uh, I, uh, I got out of the car and was walking towards the first hole, and I became aware that there were a lot of geese uh, at that park. Uh, not, not because I saw a whole gaggle of geese walking around, but, but I saw what the geese left behind. Uh, and, and I could tell that the geese had been there because they, they had left some some calling cards, uh, and where, where geese are, there are, there are goose droppings, uh, so to speak. And, and what we have to, to begin to expect is that, yeah, within the church, uh, because there are sinners in the church, there, there's going to be sin. There's going to be the butting of, of heads. There's going to be occasions where there are differences of opinion uh, and conflict. Uh, th- this is an expectation in the church. Sometimes we think that the church is, is literally going to be the place where everybody gets along uh, and there's never any differences ever. And uh, it, it, you don't have to look very far backwards into Colossians where uh, in verse 11, all of those groups that, that Paul listed off, here is there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. When you put all of those different groups of people into the church, Yes, they are all equal as they stand before Christ. At the foot of the cross, there's only level ground. That, that's what Paul is saying in chapter 3, verse 11. But the reality is when you put all of those people together, they're, they're from very different backgrounds. They're going to have different opinions, and there's going to be conflicts uh, and complaints that arise. Uh, and, and we have to develop an expectation of that, and then we have to prepare ourselves uh, for how to respond to that. 
Uh, and so that, that was the, the first observation that we, that we need to make, is that we need to expect uh, conflict to arise. We need to develop that expectation. So that, that's a brief observation, but it leads to the second observation that, hey, uh, the responses to conflict that we need to put on. Uh, and this is, this is the heart of the passage here, uh, of the, the, the proper response to conflict when it does arise, and we should expect it to, uh, the, t- the proper response is going to be twofold, that we would bear with one another, and that we would forgive each other. And let, let's look at each of those. Uh, number one, bearing with one another uh, is the idea of, of regarding somebody else with, with tolerance, uh, to, to put up with someone or with, endure with somebody. Uh, Jesus uses this word in Matthew 17, 17, he, uh, which says that Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. The word is also used to describe God's restraint in judgment in Romans 2 verse 4. Paul writes, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness, kindness and forbearance, that's the word, and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. See, we are to patiently endure and tolerate one another. We are to bear with one another when we disagree, uh, when there are differences of opinion, when there are uh, Things that, that change. Uh, and our society is not very big on this word of tolerance, is it? Uh, and, and oftentimes we can always think of, man, the, our, our society is, is going the, the opposite direction. They're, they're becoming more and more intolerant. But, but Paul's saying here, who is he addressing? Is he addressing society? He's addressing the church. Uh, he's saying uh, that the church needs to be tolerant with one another. The church needs to bear with one another in those differences and to be patient, uh, to put up with people. It's like, yes, there's going to be people in the church, and I'm going to speak candidly here, that you may not get along with, that you may not uh, enjoy. But what are we called to do because of who we are both united to as Christians? We are called to, to bear with one another because as Christians we are all united to Christ. That, that is what Paul is, is calling for here, uh, bearing with one another. And then he, he progresses his argument, because more than just uh, enduring or, or bearing with uh, one another, we are to, to go a step beyond that and to forgive each other. Uh, and, and the idea here is to, to show yourself to be gracious by forgiving wrongdoing, to, to bestow favor freely and unconditionally. Uh, we are to, uh, to forgive one another. Uh, another word for forgiveness in the Bible, similar to this word that's used here, is, is the idea of releasing from a moral obligation or consequence. So literally, instead of holding something uh, tight in our hands, instead of holding that person's sin that they've committed against you, instead of holding it tight in our hands, we are called to, to let it go, to, to release them of that. Uh, when someone sins, a debt is created, and someone must pay that debt, a spiritual debt is accumulated, and forgiveness is, is a promise to pardon that, that spiritual debt, that, that sin debt that is created. Forgiveness is, hey, I'm, I'm promising to, to not hold that against you. I'm, I'm promising to release you of that. Ken Sandy, a, a biblical counselor who has written multiple books on reconciliation, on peacemaking, on, on forgiveness, uh, gives four parts to this promise of forgiveness. When you, when you promise to pardon somebody, what are you really doing? He says, number one, you're saying that with that offense, that, that sin that you are forgiving, that I will not allow my own mind 
to dwell on it, that I'm not going to rehearse your sin against me in my heart, in my mind. Number two, I will not remind you of this sin unless it would be absolutely necessary for your good. I'm not going to bring it back up in future conflicts. Thirdly, I will not mention it to anybody else. And then fourth, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Uh, and, and Ken's wife, her name is Corlette, she, she wrote a little book for, for children on peacemaking. Uh, and she, she made those four principles into a little rhyme, which are much easier for me to remember. And I have that on your, on your notes there. Uh, and, and I've used it uh, in, in teaching to kids, and I found it's just as helpful in teaching adults. Uh, because, because the way that she rhymes it is, is memorable. Those four principles, you can distill them down to good thought, hurt you not, gossip never, friends forever. Uh, It's such a great way of of thinking through what what am I truly saying when I am forgiving somebody? Uh, I I am saying I'm I'm not going to to continue to bring this back up to my mind. And we'll we'll talk about those those four categories uh, in greater detail in a second. But uh, so so that if that's what forgiveness is, it's also helpful to clarify what forgiveness is not. Uh, and forgiveness is not a feeling. Uh, oftentimes, uh, what's, a, what's a big hindrance to uh, releasing the sins of others that have been committed against us? I don't feel like it. I'm, I'm hurting. I don't feel like entrusting myself to them again. So forgiveness is, is first and foremost not, not a feeling. It's an act of the will. Uh, it, it involves a, a series of decisions. It's not just a one-time act. Uh, and, and it's a series of decisions beginning with a prayer for God to change our hearts and help us to forgive others. Uh, if you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, uh, Matthew 6, verse 12, what, what, is it, uh, what does Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Forgive us our debts as we also ha- have forgiven others. There's a correlation that as we have been forgiven, we are called to forgive others and the fact that we need to pray about it means, hey, it's going to be hard. It's something that we're going to need the Lord's help with. Uh, and it's not just a feeling. It's a decision that we are called to make. So forgiveness is not a feeling. and It's also not excusing sin. See, uh, excusing sin says, that's okay. And, and by saying, oh, that, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, there's an implication there that there was not uh, a sin committed, that there was not an offense that was made against somebody else. And, and that's the exact opposite of forgiveness, because if we've sinned, what's the only way that's going to really be dealt with? Is it just by saying, I'm going to ignore it, by sweeping it under, under the rug? Uh, no, it's never going to, to, to deal with sin and to bring about forgiveness. Contrary to what the world says, uh, time doesn't heal everything. All right, we saw that as, we, as we've been reading through First and Second Samuel uh, in our, our reading in our growth groups, uh, when, when David's son Amnon raped his sister Tamar uh, and, and David did nothing about it, did that, did that heal that wound over time? No, David's other son Absalom, for two years he just grew more and more bitter rehearsing that sin in his own mind until it culminated in Absalom killing his half-brother Amnon, who had raped his sister. See, see time, time doesn't just heal wounds magically. Uh, you have to deal with it. You have to confess sin. You have to forgive sin. That's how reconciliation takes place. 
Uh, it's not, you can't just excuse sin and act like it didn't take place. So forgiveness is not a feeling, it's not excusing, uh, and it's not forgetting. Forgetting something is, is passive, it's something that happens to you. Uh, we forget where we parked or, or where we left our cell phone. We, we forget someone's birthday or anniversary, although usually that's more men who, who do that. Uh, we, we forget to purchase an item at the grocery store, but, but true forgiveness is not just forgetting sin, it's choosing not to remember it. Uh, it, it's active on our part. It's not something that just happens magically. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever tried to forget something? What ends up happening? As soon as you try and forget it, what are you doing? You're remembering it, right? Uh, so, so it doesn't work that way, but you're choosing to no longer remember the sins that, we, that have been committed against us. Uh, and, uh, and what Paul is saying here is that these, these two uh, actions uh, of bearing with one another of forgiving each other should characterize the church. Uh, uh, and it should characterize us in our relationships. And so well, we can kind of take inventory here. When, when someone sins against you, how do you usually respond? Right? And see, when somebody sins against us, we usually respond sinfully. Not, I, don't, I don't usually uh, patiently endure sin committed against me. Uh, I'm usually the, the justice patrol uh, that was sin, and let me let me go confront. Let me get into an argument. Let me uh, begin to prove why I am right. Uh, I don't patiently endure uh, when someone disagrees with me or sins against me. And uh, regarding forgiveness, that's that's not my first instinct. Uh, my first instinct is is to hold sin against others uh, and, and to use it uh, later on. Uh, and if if we go back to to that little that little rhyme. Uh, good thought hurts you not, gossip never, friends forever. That, that little rhyme and those principles also show us uh, the temptations that we'll face uh, after a conflict. Uh, see, see, what the temptation is after sin has been committed against us uh, is for us to rehearse that sin over and over in our own mind. Uh, and and how's that, how does that usually work for us? Uh, when, 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 we, when we just rehearse that sin, what's the, the end product? Do we love that person more? Uh, are we more convinced of our sinfulness or their sinfulness? Yeah, we're more con- con- or convinced of their sinfulness. Uh, and as, as we push them down in our minds, we naturally do what? We become more and more righteous. Uh, that, that's amazing how that works, right? And I become more and more righteous and more and more bitter towards that person uh, as I continue to rehearse their sin in my mind. Uh, and so we, we have to forsake that, say, no, I'm not going to give in to that temptation to, to rehearse that sin, but I'm only going to think good thoughts. I'm going to ponder what is go- good and true and admirable, uh, and I'm going to forgive them in my heart. Uh, we also face another temptation uh, to bring that, that sin up in, in future conversations with that person. Uh, and I'm sure any, any married couple, any parent and child uh, can can say, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of this, uh, of in the middle of an argument, uh, what is it we like to do? Is to bring out that list, right? Uh, and, and say, well, don't you remember that on you know, November 30th of this year, you said this and this, and uh, you did this, you sinned in the exact same way, so when I say you always, it's, it's true, because you've done it twice. Uh, and uh, you're, you're guilty of all of these things. That's one of the, our favorite things to do, in conflict is to, to go historical. Uh, but when we truly say, I forgive you, you're committing to saying, I'm not going to bring this up 
in the future. I'm not going to use it as ammunition in future uh, battles with words uh, against you. Uh, I'm going to forgive you and truly release you uh, for that. Another temptation that we face is to to go and tell others about the sin that was committed against us. And the, and the, the Bible calls that gossip. The Bible calls it slander. Uh, and if you look back in, in chapter 3, verse 8 in Colossians, we've already seen where slander begins. Paul says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And when we looked at that, we saw that there was a progression from the sin of the heart, anger, to outbursts of wrath, to uh, a feeling of desiring to hurt somebody, malice, to then acting on that desire and speaking ill of people, slander, and then obscene talk. Uh, and we're called to put all of those things away. See, when, if I've truly forgiven somebody, uh, I don't then go announce their sin to everybody else. Uh, that's, that's wrong for me to do because when I go and announce other people's sin to everybody else, what am I doing? I'm, I'm stirring up strife between the person who sinned against me and uh, everybody else. And, and just, just a personal illustration of, of why, uh, why this is so important uh, and how that made an impact upon my own life and my own marriage. Uh, when, uh, when I would have a conflict with somebody uh, in, in the church, uh, and sometimes I would go home and, and uh, debrief with my wife. Uh, and, and oftentimes we do that. We go and share the most intimate details of our lives with our spouses, right? But, but when I would go and share uh, with Libby, if, if I had a difficulty with somebody, uh, what have I done? Now my wife, who wants to defend my, her husband uh, because she loves me, which I'm very thankful for, uh, now what's her opinion of that person who's sinned against me? Yeah, she has an ill opinion of that person. So here, here's the kicker. I would reconcile with that person. I would go and speak with them and address what happened. But then, you know what I would forget to do? I would forget to go and speak with my wife. I would forget to go and tell her about that reconciliation because a lot, a lot of stuff happens each day and each week. And uh, I don't. When I get home, I don't always download all the details to to her. Uh, and so what would begin to happen is now I've created a conflict between my wife and this person because I went and shared, uh, and then I didn't circle the wagons again and say how I had reconciled. But if, but if I didn't share that with her or if, I, or if I go back and share the reconciliation, then that problem is addressed. But uh, it begins to slander other people's character. And we can be guilty of that even in our own homes. That's something that we need to be very, very careful of and aware of. Now, that is one of the temptations that we will face. And then the fourth temptation that we, that we will see is that, uh, that one of the friends forever. When somebody sins against us, uh, what, what do we typically like to do? Build, build barriers in that relationship. Hey, I, uh, I forgive you, but now I need to completely redefine our friendship, our relationship, uh, and I'm, I'm no longer going to put myself in that situation where I can be hurt by you again. Uh, and... And I think of these, of these four aspects of forgiveness, I bet the one that's the most radical and the most difficult for us to wrap our minds around is that last one, right? You're like, I can, I can work on uh, not rehearsing it in my own mind, although that one's really difficult as well. Uh, I can work on not bringing it up uh, in future arguments. I can work on not going and gossiping and slandering. But then this reality of entrusting myself to that person again to the same level 
that, they, that I have in the past uh, is, is difficult. Uh, but, but I think it's something that we are called to do in Scripture. And, and the third point, uh, the third observation that we can make from this passage is where uh, I would present my case for that. Observation number three, the model of forgiveness that you need to remember. The, the verse says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. You see, see what, what the Bible clearly teaches is, again, the, the Bible's one big story about God's forgiveness of sinful man. How a holy God can forgive sinful man. Uh, all people everywhere have rebelled against God. We, we've broken his law. We've, we've broken his righteous standard. Uh, and, and the penalty of that is, uh, is death. Uh, it, it's an eternal judgment because we have rebelled against an eternal God. Uh, but uh, because we couldn't save ourselves, God offers salvation to us. God offers reconciliation and forgiveness through a person, through his son. And he sent his son uh, to live a perfect life. Uh, to die on the cross and then to be raised again on the third day. And everyone who looks to Jesus in faith will be spiritually united with Christ and forgiven for their sins. Uh, as you look back to, to Colossians 2, uh, verses 9 to, to 14, you'll see uh, this, is, this is what Colossians is all about, that how our union with Christ, one of the benefits of that union is that our sins are ultimately forgiven. Uh, and not in a partial way, but in a complete way. Begin, let's begin reading verse 9, Colossians 2. Paul writes, For in him, speaking of Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. See, see that, that's how God has forgiven us. He said, I love you so much, I'm going to unite you with my son, and then I'm going to take your sin and nail it to his cross. And all of the wrath that, that we deserved for our sin, God poured out upon Christ. And, and when, that, when that record of debt is paid, it is completely gone. It's it's canceled. That, that, that's the word there in verse 14. Uh, and, and here in, in verse 13, uh, th- this simple statement of, as the Lord has forgiven you, Paul is just making a, a statement. Hey, you've been forgiven in Christ. Uh, and, and if this is the model of our forgiveness, then, then we have to ask, well, how, how are we forgiven in Christ? We are completely forgiven. Okay, all of our sins, past, present, and future, Known and unknown, every single one of them has been forgiven in Christ. Uh, and our, uh, every barrier between us and God is, is torn down. Our union with Christ means that we are not only forgiven, but we are adopted into God's family. 
Turn with me over to Galatians chapter 4. This is, this is an amazing passage to look at. Now, our union with Christ, we are, we are, God doesn't say, hey, I forgive you, but I don't want to be around you anymore. Uh, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm going to keep you at arm's length. I don't want you to get too close because you may hurt me. No, God does exactly the opposite. He says, hey, you've hurt me. I had to send my son to die for you, to bring you in. Uh, and now I'm going to adopt you into my family. Look at Galatians 4, starting in verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, that that is how God forgives us in Christ. He doesn't forgive us and then build up barriers to separate us. He, He forgives us completely, wipes away our sins. He chooses to no longer remember our sins. Uh, Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12 says that God takes our transgressions and he casts them as far as the east is from the west. Now, I played quarterback in, in high school and college, and, and I had a decent arm, but I can't throw as far as the east is from the west. Right? That, that's an infinite distance. Uh, you, nobody can do that but God. And that is how far he takes our transgressions and removes them from us. He says, I'm no longer going to to remember them. I'm no longer going to to count them against you. And that's difficult, right? We know that because in in our own relationships, it's difficult to entrust ourselves to somebody who has sinned against us. Uh, It's it's more difficult to forgive than it is to ask for forgiveness, right? It's easy when we ask for forgiveness, but but it's difficult to, to grant it. And when we think of everything that God has forgiven us for, we should begin to be overwhelmed by the level of his love, should we not? But when we see how much he has forgiven us uh, and his steadfast love, even though we continue to sin against him, it's overwhelming. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse uh, captures uh, this this thought in, in a most fascinating story Uh, that he recounts. He tells the story of a young man in France, much loved by his mother. Uh, But this young man pursued a wicked path that took him deeper and deeper into sin. And and he became enamored with an evil woman who dragged him further and further into unrighteousness. And his mother naturally sought to draw him out and away from this relationship with this woman and and back to, uh, to a higher plane. And the other woman resented this bitterly. One night, the story goes, the evil woman chided the man with an accusation that he did not really love her because he allowed his mother to interfere. And he vowed that he, he, vowed that he loved her, and she appealed to his drunken mind, saying, if you really love me, you will rid us of your mother and her constant pleadings. Well, uh, according to the legend, the young man rushed from the room to a nearby house in which his mother lived and dealt her death blows tearing the heart from her body to carry it back to his lover as proof that he had, not, that he had taken her life. And then comes the, the climax of this tale. 
As he rushed on in his insane folly, he, he trips and stumbles, and as he, he falls, there's a voice that comes from the heart and says, My son, are you hurt? See, see that is how God loves us, that even though we, we commit so many sins against him, that we are constantly uh, attacking him, rebelling against him, that doesn't change his attitude towards us because he has adopted us into his family. Uh, he has... Uh, he has brought us in. He has said, no matter what you do, I will forgive because our standing is firm in Christ. And forgiveness is, uh, is easy uh, for, for us to ask for, but it's very, very difficult to, to extend. And, and this, is a, this is a high standard of, of forgiveness. Uh, it's, it's difficult to... Uh, to extend to others when, when it hurts so, so much. And, and oftentimes we fall short of this, do we not? Uh, instead of truly releasing people of sin, we like to, to hold on to it. Uh, we like to, uh, to use it again. We like to, to bring it up. We like to, to go and gossip about them, as, as I've said. We, we like to, uh, to do everything but truly forgive as God has forgiven us. We also need to understand that, that when we extend forgiveness, uh, we're, we're removing a, a personal separation uh, that arises between us when somebody sins, but, but we are not removing uh, other consequences of sin that, that, that come about. Now, there are other consequences of sin uh, that arise, and sometimes that, that leads to a permanent loss of trust. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's also helpful for somebody to endure uh, the consequences uh, of their sin. Proverbs 19.19 19, uh, says, A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. If you save someone from the consequences of their sin, they may not learn their lessons. So uh, the reality is a, a careless teenager may be forgiven by their parents for, for a car accident, but uh, that, that teenager may still have to pay for the car to be repaired. Right? No, there's still consequences that need uh, to take place at times, even though a sin can be forgiven. At other times, uh, there, there can be a permanent loss of trust of, of somebody who, who's guilty of abusing children will never again be, be able to work with kids. They're, they're not going to be entrusted with that responsibility. Or uh, some, somebody guilty of embezzling money from his employer is not going to be asked to, to oversee the church finances. Uh, because we don't want to, to put somebody in a temptation where they, where they fulfill that, uh, they give into that temptation again and fall into sin. So sometimes there's a reality of that there can be permanent consequences and a permanent loss of trust, even though forgiveness is extended. And, and this reality that, that forgiveness uh, that we have received in Christ, we are to, uh, to follow and, and model uh, in our forgiveness of others. Uh, leads us to, to one final observation that we, that we can make uh, from this verse. We'll see that observation number four is that, that we have an obligation to forgive. Uh, observation number four, the obligation to forgive that you now bear. If we turn back to, to Colossians 3, there's a simple statement at the end of the verse. So, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, uh, that, that, that we are now obligated 
to forgive others because of the grace and the forgiveness that has been extended to us. Uh, there, there's, there's no more powerful way uh, to portray this than, than Jesus' own words in, in Matthew 18. Uh, if you turn there, turn there with me. That, that uh, because we have been shown grace, because we have been shown mercy, we are now expected to pass that mercy and grace and forgiveness along to, to other people. Look with me, Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me, and I will, rep- I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And just just to pause here. So so the difference in in what is owed. A denarii is is one day's wage, uh, and and so what what's owed to this servant is about three months worth of wages. Uh, but what's owed to to uh, the, the first servant is ten thousand talents, uh, which is uh, as you look in the, the footnotes uh, there in the ESV, it says a talent was a monetary unit worth about twenty years' wages for a laborer. Uh, and this guy owes 10,000 uh, talents. So 10,000 times uh, 20, uh, or uh, is that what it was? Why am I? 10,000 talents. So 20 years times 10,000. So 200,000 years worth of working day, day in and day out. That's what's owed by the first servant. And then he's owed three months worth of wages. And what does he do? Well... His fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went out and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, see nobody comes away from reading that uh, and says, well, what's the problem here? Huh. everybody sees the, the ugliness of what that servant did. That even though he had been forgiven so much, he was unforgiving towards others. And, and that's us at times. That's us. When we have been forgiven so much by God, and yet we hold grudges 
against others. And, and what we see in this parable is, uh, is the transaction of forgiveness. We are called to, to extend forgiveness to others. When, uh, when, when the, the servant comes to, to the, his master, the, the king, uh, what does he do? He asks for forgiveness. Please release me of this, of this debt. Uh, uh, when the other servant comes uh, and asks uh, the servant, please, please release me, please, please forgive me, uh, he's asking for a transaction. And this is one type of forgiveness uh, that we see in, in Scripture. Uh, this is when a, a person who has is, who is sinned against someone else uh, confesses, repents, and comes and, and asks for forgiveness. This is what we saw in Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. And when our, when our brother and sister in Christ repents and comes to us asking for forgiveness, what are we called to do? Forgive them. You must forgive. That's the this attitude, or, or I'm sorry, this transaction of forgiveness. But there's also an attitude of forgiveness. So, so hand in hand with this this transaction of when somebody asks for forgiveness, there's also an attitude of forgiveness. We see this in Mark 11:25. It says, "And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, those are exact numbers, uh, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you." your trespasses. So if I have anything against anyone, as I stand praying to God, what am I called to do in my heart? Even if they don't come and ask for forgiveness, what am I called to do? I'm, I'm called to, to forgive them, to release them of that. And that's that good thought, hurt you not, gossip never, friends forever. I'm, I'm called to forgive them, even though they haven't asked for it. Uh, and in contrast to, the, to this condition of transaction, uh, the, 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 the transaction of, repent, of confession and, and forgiveness is, is conditional. What is it dependent upon? Their repentance. But the attitude of forgiveness is, is unconditional. I'm called to do that at all times. But, but we also have to understand the distinction between, uh, between this transaction and the attitude of forgiveness. When, uh, uh, when Dylan Roof uh, went in, in 2015 uh, into uh, the... Uh, Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, uh, he, he shot and killed nine people. Uh, and within two days uh, of, of the shooting, uh, the, the families of that church had, had uh, announced that they, that they forgave him, which is amazing, right? Uh, I mean, that, that's, that's, that, that's so difficult to, to say, hey, I'm going to forgive this person who's killed one of my family members, who, who's come in and killed in, in hate. And so they... They had a great example of an attitude of forgiveness, but, but in, in saying, hey, we forgive you, before he had repented, before he had said, hey, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And in fact, uh, it wasn't that he just hadn't said that. He was actually continuing to take pride in the shooting. He, he was taking pride in the fact that he had gone and killed nine people in that church. And so in... in in offering the transaction of forgiveness, of, of saying, hey, I forgive you, what had they removed from him? They had taken away his responsibility and his need to, to do what? To repent. See, see, when sin is committed against somebody, the person who did the sinning is called to repent biblically, and the person who was sinned against is called biblically to, to forgive. But if I say, oh, I forgive you before they repent, I've removed uh, from them the need to to ask for forgiveness the, the, the need to to repent and and so we have to understand these these distinctions between the transaction of forgiveness and the attitude of forgiveness uh, 
both of them are hard, right? Uh, both of them are, are incredibly, incredibly difficult. And, uh, and when sin arises in our relationships and it separates us, we are called to, to close, close that separation, to release people of that sin. But that's hard. And some of you may be asking, well, so I know what I should do, but, but how do I begin to do it? How, how do I begin to, to tangibly uh, forgive people? Uh, when I, I know that I should, but, it, but it's, it's so hard. Say, first and foremost, begins with prayer. It begins with us praying to God, asking the Lord to change our hearts so that we are willing to extend forgiveness to others. That prayer would be, Lord, help me to understand your forgiveness of me. Help me to see and understand my own sin. Help me to, uh, to be willing to grant forgiveness to others. Uh, and, and it begins with prayer, but it also continues with prayer. Because, as I said, forgiveness isn't just a one-time action. Uh, it's not just merely speaking words one time, but it's an ongoing series of decisions. Because uh, even though you've... You've said, I forgive you. Uh, when that argument arises again, what, what's going to come to mind? That, that previous offense. And then you have to forgive all over again. You have to say, Lord, uh, um, help me to not hold this against them. Help me not to rehearse this. Uh, help me not to go and announce it to others. Help me not to let it change our relationship. What begins in prayer needs to continue in prayer. And then we need to commit to act in faith and obedience. Again, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a It's a choice. Uh, it's a decision that we have to make on a day-in, day-out basis. And we have to say and, and understand and truly believe that, that God is able to help us forgive other people. That what he commands, he will always strengthen and empower us to do. Uh, God's, God's grace and forgiveness was, was powerfully displayed in the life of a woman named Corrie Ten Boom who had been imprisoned with her family by the Nazis for giving aid to the Jews during World War II. Uh, and in the early months of World War II, her and her family were arrested and imprisoned. Uh, and her elderly father and beloved sister, Betsy, died as a result of the brutal treatment they received in the prison. And God sustained Corey through her time in a concentration camp. But after the war, she began to travel throughout the world and share uh, about how uh, she had seen and experienced God's love in the middle of those circumstances. And, and here's what she wrote about a remarkable encounter that she had one day in Germany. She says, uh, It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the, the former SS man, who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück, which is the, the prison that they were held at. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly, it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and, and bowing, how grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed away my sins. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people about the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. 
Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I, I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. So I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on him. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. And that's what we are to keep in mind here. As, as Paul gives, gives this, this really high and lofty command that we are to forgive others as we have been forgiven in Christ. And even though that's really difficult, God will at the same time empower us to obey that command. He will at the same time uh, use us to put the gospel on display. And that as we forgive others, the gospel is put on display in a way that it that it can't be seen in other facets. When we forgive others who have sinned against us, the world says, wow. Because, and that's what the world said in that shooting with Dylan Roof. When those people came out and said, hey, we forgive you. They, again, amazing attitude of forgiveness. And the world was shocked. And they all wrestled with that question. How would I, how would I interact with somebody who had killed one of my family members? And, and the desire for forgiveness, the desire for reconciliation is a universal experience. It's something that all people uh, have, have wrestled with and, and need answers to. And when we put the gospel on display by forgiving others as we have been forgiven, it boldly and loudly proclaims who Christ is and what he came to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you, worshiping you, praising you for the sweetness of your plan to forgive us. Lord, we thank you for the love that you have shown to us, the love that caused you to send your Son, the love that caused you to unite us with him, to, to adopt us, to bring us into your family, to, to forgive us of our sins, to no longer count them against us, Lord. You choose to not remember our sins. You do not forget them, but you you make an active choice not to remember them, not to hold them against us. And Lord, I pray that you would help our hearts this morning, that you would help our hearts this week, that you would help our hearts uh, every day beyond this one, that you would help us to to follow in Christ's footstep, that you would Help us to emulate you and to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Help us to understand the obligation that we now have. This isn't optional. This isn't something that we can choose to to disobey on. Lord, you are calling us to this. May we not be as that wicked servant was. But Lord, help us to be faithful ambassadors, message uh, message carriers uh, of your amazing gospel that promises forgiveness to all who look to Christ in faith. 
Lord, we thank you for your Son and all of the joys and blessings that we have in him. But above all, Lord, we thank you for him. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.